Welcome to the Coaching Talks Podcast, your inspirational moment to continue your growth journey. How can we enhance our performance and well-being? Today, we'll talk about the secrets to experience balance in an overstressed environment, together with exercise physiologist and master trainer, Tina Hoffman. And now, relax and enjoy. Welcome back to our show. This is Mark Siles talking today from our studio in Helsinki. In one of our previous podcasts, we opened the topic of burnouts. In that episode, we shared that in a report from 2018, Gallup surveyed 7,500 full-time employees and concluded that organizations are facing an employee burnout crisis. This survey found that 23% of employees reported feeling burnout at work very often or always, while an additional 44% reported feeling burnout sometimes. That means about two-thirds of full-time workers experience burnout on the job. Burnout is the result of chronic stress, which keeps the immune system suppressed 24-7. This is why burnout comes with so many health risks. Long periods of exposure to psychosocial hazards and stress will also reduce our cognitive capabilities, performance, deteriorate our mood, and bring a higher probability of depression and anxiety. Under those circumstances, the dopamine level goes down, bringing with it a decrease in our motivation, feelings of pleasure, and happiness. Apart from the personal impact, burnouts are creating as well from $125 to $190 billion per year in additional healthcare spending according to the Stanford Graduate School of Business. To talk about this issue, we have the privilege today to have on the phone Tina Hoffman. Tina is an exercise physiologist, a master trainer at FirstBeat. She has 12 years of experience working in the area of corporate wellness, training other professionals, blogging, and presenting about the importance of a balanced lifestyle for better health and performance. FirstBeat is the leading provider of physiological analytics for sports and well-being. Its mission is to use physiology and science to unlock human potential in health, performance, and productivity. Before FirstBeat, Tina worked in an applied research project at the University of Yavaskula and Research Institute for Olympic Sports in Finland, focusing on heart rate variability. Before that, she was a Nordic ski racer and coach at the University of Alaska. Tina, welcome to our show. We are really happy to have you with us today. Thank you, Mark. Really nice to be here. Before we start with the interview, uh, let me ask you, what are you truly passionate about? Good question. Um, personally, my family. Mm -hmm. and um, some kind of idea of li living a good life and leaving some good tracks behind me. And in my personal free time, I, I love the outdoors, the forest, kayaking, hiking, just getting outside to, to balance the other stress that is in my life. Professionally, I would say that I'm passionate about the content of the work that I do. So. I like to talk about basic things like sleep and resilience and stress management and exercise. Mm -hmm. It speaks a good language to people. And I like to use data in my work, but I'm not a data geek. I, I would say <laughs> that instead I'm passionate about how to put the information that data provides us in, into practice in people's lives. So is that how would uh, you define well-being? 
I guess it can be defined in many different ways. When I think about well-being, I think it means it's some kind of combination of physical factors like our health and nutrition and fitness, but then also mental, mental well-being, emotions, happiness, and of course social circumstances, friends and family affect that. But I think maybe the key with well-being is that it's not it doesn't require some kind of perfection or a total balance of everything because life has its ups and downs and in real life well-being is some kind of balance where those big things are handled most of the time and we make good choices most most of the time and then i think we can have that feeling of well-being even with the ups and downs that we all experience some of your speeches i noticed that you talk about uh, stress and one of the main topics on your areas of expertise Uh, so just to clarify, is actually stress what? You know, should we just try to get rid of it out of our lives completely? Stress in itself is not bad, I don't think. And also research backs that because there is positive and negative kind of stress. And uh, to some degree, stress definitely belongs to life. It helps us get through the different demands of life and it helps us rise to the level of performance that is needed from us. But absolutely, stress can be very bad and very poisonous if it's excessive or chronic or sort of overwhelming. So there is too much demands on us all the time. We don't need to think of it in a way that we should get rid of stress, but we should definitely learn how to handle it and sort of how to tame stress. And uh, that means that we need to learn to recognize when it's becoming excessive. It's personal for every individual, but we need to recognize the signs when the stress is becoming excessive and then learn to push that off button and switch off and get some recovery. Because if we let that excessive stress continue for too long, then it clearly is associated with many problems. For example, burnout, like you mentioned in the beginning. You just mentioned experience of good stress. Do you have some examples about what that could be and how is that helping us performing better? Well, I often use an example of um, from the sports world when I talk to different groups is that like if you're watching um, an exciting football match or hockey game or something like that. So if your own team is winning and you're really loving watching the game, so your body is going through all kinds of positive stress at that moment. Physiologically, if you measure that situation, the signal will look just the same whether your team is losing or winning because the positive and the negative stress and the emotions, they cause the same reaction in the body. Hmm. But of course, positive stress also, it can just mean good vibes at work. So when we when we like our work and we are doing things that we enjoy, it gives us a good feeling and we get a feeling of accomplishment and positive stress when we do our jobs and feel like we are doing a good job in that. But if it's then too much, if it goes on all the time, then that positive at sometimes it begins to turn into a negative stress when we suddenly feel like there is more demands on us that we can possibly cope with. It's not only how we experience it, but it's also how our body reacts to that. Which would you say that are the main challenges and dangers professionals are facing at the moment to keep a healthy lifestyle at work? I think maybe number one in my book is this kind of 24-7 availability that affects so many of us today. Sort of in the past, a doctor might be on call sometimes, but in reality, a lot of people in a way are on call all the time. They're just one email or one text message or one phone call away 
from being at work. The very blurred line between at work and off work. And I think this typical example is that we can take a meeting or a call pretty much from anywhere, whether we are at lunch or getting a haircut or traveling. So we are constantly available <laughs> and we are afraid of missing out. <laughs> I'm afraid of missing out. I heard that before, right? You know, is that <laughs> important email just been sent five seconds ago? So I, I, I think in my book, that's probably the very biggest challenge, um, forgetting that we need to switch off. We can't always be on. We can't always be on. What would you say that are the pressures at the moment in our society that makes us believe that this is what we have to do? Um, yeah, I think uh, maybe this kind of thinking that if you are not busy, you must be lazy. <laughs> and and then um, this, I, I was just at a conference in London last week, and, and this term that many of us have heard this FOMO, FOMO, fear of missing out. Mm -hmm. So this presenter continued on that. It was called FUMOOM, so fear of F-O-M-O-O-M, and that meant fear of missing out on meetings because stuff is happening all the time in many professionals work there is always going to be more meetings and more things to attend that you possibly can mm -hmm. but then we it gets to the point where we can't anymore draw the line that well today i'm really off so i'm gonna have to just miss that and trust that my, my job will still be there when i come back I think this uh, this becomes very difficult with the, the, all the things that technology allows. It's too easy to just sign in and no matter where you are at. I think that's a very good point. What I notice as well uh, among my clients is the lack of clarity about what one wants to achieve. And that creates this uh, doubt about what is the information I truly need to understand, which is the information I need to get. And this makes that a lot of people just wants to assist to a lot of meetings, as you were mentioning, you know, having the fear that maybe the information I need is in that meeting. So mm -hmm. I, better, I better go there and make sure, you know, I keep all my agenda full of information. And then how do you filter it? You know, and that also it's a source of a stress, not knowing which information is the one that I have to use after my days. I have been full busy gathering information and feedback. Mm. So I would say also on the top of the fear of missing out is this lack of clarity about what is the thing that I really want to achieve. Yeah. Is my vision clear? And therefore, like, you know, which are the things that I should just be skipping or delegating or be postponing mm. or just not doing at all to you know, yeah. create focus on the things which really matter for me. When you think about companies, how they have started to speak about this topic, how important it is for companies to start paying more attention to their employees' burnout? Yeah, I think it's very, very important because common experience and common sense, but also strong science shows that if our brain and our mind is constantly stimulated and overstimulated and overloaded, our mind is sort of on all the time, we are not going to be able to perform as well as we can if we also get enough recovery. So an employee who is fatigued or overloaded, they cannot perform as well as they can otherwise. They can be present, this term called presenteeism, so they're at work, but they're not able to remember or they make more errors. Their quality of their work is not going to be as good as if they were well rested. They take more sick leave days. So many 
very strong connections, uh, poor performance indicators associated with this excessive stress and ongoing stress that employees have. So it's definitely the employer's benefit to have an employee who has this stress and recovery in balance rather than being constantly so that the stress system is dominating the life all of the time. What would you say that is the impact on the performance when we think about the consequences at work of having these overstressed environments? couple of things that I, I think I mentioned, you make more errors, you have less creativity, you're not going to be able to focus as well. The, the quality of what you produce, whatever your work is, is going to be less. But then on a sort of a physiological, or looking at the person's life, so the vicious cycle kind of continues. So if our stress system is constantly engaged and active, and we are too busy all day, that will have a significant effect on our sleep. There's a very strong connection that if our day is too stressful, it's much, much harder to get a good quality sleep. And without good sleep, then again, it, next day, we are not going to be able to perform as well as if we had been able to sleep. So it's not just how things are at work, but it also how it affects our leisure time and then our ability to get recovery during night. Before we go into the dimension, let me just retake one thing you said before, which I think is very interesting and is in that need of having the perception of wanting to be busy, that belief that we need to be, that is cool to be mm. busy all the time. Which other trends have you seen on what is cool to be stressed about? Yeah, yeah, we could sometimes call them trendy stressors. <laughs> and uh, yeah, definitely that being busy is one. I don't need much sleep, I think is another very typical one. I can hmm. manage with five hours. And we, yeah, we've heard that before. Heard yeah. From, yeah, we've heard that before. And, and yet sleep experts would say that it's actually an, a very tiny percent of people who truly can survive and, and thrive on, for example, five hours of sleep. So most people absolutely need more, but it's maybe thought of some kind of a sign of a tough guy that I just need five hours. <laughs> I think another one that that's a good one that because my exercise and sports background, I, I'm, I'm very tuned into that is that people think that the best way for them to sort of beat stress is to go and put a killer workout in. So when they have a really stressful, heavy packed day, they feel like the best way to sort of unravel the stress is by going and running for an hour, you know, as hard as you can and feel the lactate acid burn your muscles. And I think for anybody who has ever been an athlete, we know that it can feel good sometimes. You, you, you think that that helps us sort of get rid of the stressful day. And in some situations, hmm. it might do that. But in the big picture, if we have a lot of stress already, then exercise is just another stress. And if we compile those two together too often, sleep is going to suffer for sure because after a stressful day or high intensity workout, that's going to increase the amount of stress on the body. And it's going to be all that much harder to get good sleep. And our data, for example, shows that correlation very clearly. And I think that people just need to have an understanding that there is nothing bad about high intensity exercise. But when the life is very stressful and there is a lot going on, then sometimes just an easy recovery workout is actually going to be a lot healthier for us, both mentally, but also even thinking of our training program. We are not going to get the benefits of the exercise if we are very, very stressed when it starts. Easy recovery workout. I like that note because uh, at the moment it's become a, a trend or a fashion, at least what I've seen around among uh, top executives to run a, an Ironman 
a triathlon or mm. a marathon, it becomes something cool. Uh, it makes you look the guy or the dude. Yeah. And I've noticed yeah, yeah. <laughs> a lot going on. And at the same time, among my clients who have been going through that experience, uh, we notice as well the, that their recovery is getting worse. They're actually getting more stressed than before, even if, you know, common sense would say that with more sport, you should feel healthier. So this uh, dimension that you just bring sounds very interesting for those of our listeners that are just about to start that uh, that adventure. What would you say about how could that be balanced? Because I think it's still a nice a nice goal to achieve if you yeah. want to go for a triathlon. But then what would you say about it? Somebody that wants to use this kind of high intensity sport, how could they regulate it or use what you were just saying before? Yeah, I think that's a really, it's a really good and really valuable question and definitely no easy answer to that. Our big data shows very clearly that people who are in better fitness in general, they have also a better capacity to recover. So definitely fitness is mostly all good. And when you improve your fitness, you also are able to achieve a better stress recovery balance typically than somebody who is unfit Mm -hmm. but when you start if you have a full-time job and and you have a a hard training program where you're training for marathon or triathlon or something like that you have to consider the overall load of your life very very carefully and to make sure that if for example the workload is really increasing during a, a given week or a given month or given few days then you have to be able to adjust the training program and realize that today, maybe instead of putting in a two and a half hour run, I'm better off just dropping the intensity and just going for a 30 minute refresher. It can do better. So I think it takes a lot of common sense, but also a lot of very sound training principles and, and also probably some monitoring to have some kind of data. So what you can see that when now it's too much, the load of my job and my family life and my training is too much and maybe sleep is beginning to suffer. I think sleep is a good indicator that if you're able to get good quality sleep and still have time to put in your eight hours, you're probably coping fine. But if then you start skimping on sleep and thinking that, okay, I'm just going to have to get up at five to, so I can have time to put in that two-hour workout, it's probably going to hurt you more than it's going to help you. That's an excellent point. Uh, it recalls me like a case I had a couple of months ago with one of my clients where I use your first bit uh, lifestyle assessment device. Uh, she believed that she was having a very good lifestyle. Uh, she was saying that, you know, her sleep was great. She was doing a lot of a sport and she was feeling okay, but somehow she had difficulties to be more creative at work. Uh, we test it, you know, we just put the device and then we get some mm. data. So I think that's a great point of bringing data, not just your perception, because, you know, many times our assumptions are quite distorted. Uh, reflective to what reality actually mm-hmm. is. And when we look at the data, then it was like something undeniable. The sleep was very poor. The recovery was extremely, the day was okay. She was getting enough recovery times and everything was fine, but the sleep was creating a deficiency after all the accumulated days. And that bring a lot of awareness and perception into, into her life. And also like how to improve the routines to go to bed, how to get a higher quality of uh, that unconscious recovery, if you want to call it so. Like, even if we feel that we have been having a good night, it could be that it is not the case. So checking that, and I would believe that your device is one of the best ones I've tested so far. I think it's a great point. Bring data, bring facts on the table. So Mm. you don't have to judge with your perception, but you can bring real information to make a good decision afterwards. And also just the intensity of the training as basic, just people have been monitoring their workouts with a heart rate monitor for years. And, uh, it might not be necessary every time, but when you are really struggling to make sure that you're not overdoing that, then having a monitor on that when it's an easy workout, 
it's really tough to do an easy workout, truly easy enough, unless you have a heart rate monitor that, you know, you know that you have to keep your heartbeat at under 120 or under 110 or 130, whatever your threshold is. But that really, really can mean the difference between it being a moderate workout versus truly an easy recovery workout. Continuing with the topic of sleep, how is the quality of sleep actually having an impact on both dimensions, welding and performance? So huge, obviously, because it's absolutely proven and clear that if we don't get enough good quality sleep, many of the sort of very basic bodily processes like physical and mental recovery, it happens during night. And if we don't get enough of that, our body just is not able to repair and fix and recover from the things that happen during the daytime. It has studied correlations to attention, focus, ability to learn, ability to memorize, and uh, also the different sleep stages. So when we we know that we need to have some REM sleep and we know we need to have some deep sleep, sleep. So if the quality of sleep is very poor, we might be only in some kind of a very light superficial sleep instead of ever getting those deep and REM sleeps like cycles, which are really important for specific functions to happen. And also the um, uh, really strong studies showing that consistently sleeping less than seven hours per night. So of course, here and there, everyone has shorter sleeps, but if you consistently sleep less than seven hours, the correlations to a whole number of physical and mental illnesses is very strong. Things like cardiovascular disease or diabetes, overweight, blood pressure, depression. So very strong studied academic research supporting that if we don't sleep enough, our likelihood of getting different kind of illnesses is much bigger. So it's not just the performance at work, but also those kind of physical and mental illnesses. I think that both are extremely correlated. The personal impact, it's the main thing to keep in mind, I believe, especially thinking not just the impact on yourself, right? But also the impact that those will have on people around you when we fall or somebody may fall into a mental mental challenge. Uh, it also impacts, especially in cases like depression or extreme anxiety. Yeah. You know, we may snap yeah. on our kids really easy or uh, yeah. bring bring certain level of tension in our relationship at home and with our friends as well. So yeah. the impact goes beyond yourself. Also has an ecological impact on those around you. And at the same time, when we think about the impact at work, the quality of the decisions that we, we make as executives as well has an impact not just on the company bottom line, but also mm. the likelihood to keep jobs around to make sure that the results are there. So that we can see like a very deep 360 impact that Mm. uh, I think it's hard to disconnect. As you were saying, there's so many factors, so many impacts that you cannot just isolate one from from the other. What would you say to those uh, companies, executives or people that say that they don't have enough time to focus on those things? It's a matter of priorities. We all have to make some kind of a priority list and there should be a few things on the priority list that are fairly uncompromised. Things that 
every once in a while you might have to give up on those, but basically you don't touch. And I think for most people, sleep should be maybe number one on that priority list. So it can vary. Somebody might need seven hours. Somebody else might, if they are doing a lot of sports and a lot of exercise, they might need nine hours, but you, you sort of plan your day. You put in that seven to nine hour period of sleep and you just don't touch that unless, you know, your house is on fire or something like that. So, (laughs) you know, you really prioritize so high that something else has to go, but not always sleep, which is, it's so typical that when things get busy, we go to bed an hour later or wake up earlier to try to get it all done. But I think it's really about priorities. And one more comment on that kind of ties in really close to that and also the why sleep is so important. I think it's really powerful, interesting statistics that I read in um, Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep. Mm-hmm. He has the statistics there that in the US, drowsy driving, so driving while tired, basically, it causes more deaths and accidents than drugs and alcohol related traffic incidents combined. So. Wow. People driving a car while they're so tired that they make a mistake and they get in an accident. And I think it's frightening statistic that affects everything. in life. It doesn't just affect us. It affects also others in traffic. If we are constantly tired in a way, we get so used to feeling like that, that we don't even think that we are that tired. But then when it's time to make those kind of snap you know, decisions in an important situation, we are more likely to make mistakes. So it, I think that really speaks to the importance of sleep. This should bring a lot of attention to most of our listeners. Could you think about a tip in case, I guess that it has happened to you as it has happened to me when those short nights take place, and sometimes it's more than once in a week, what could we do then? If that's the case, you know, what could we do during the day to recover a bit or like guarantee that at least we have enough energy to go through that day? Well, I think, of course, if we most of the time as default sleep well enough and long enough, then a night here and night there is not going to throw our balance off that much. But if you do have that kind of day when you just couldn't get enough sleep, uh, there is a lot of studies saying that a power nap can be helpful. Power nap usually means something like 15 to 20 minutes, maybe 25 minutes at the very most. So at a strategically good time, like in the afternoon, right after work, uh, in the middle of the day, that can really help energize you, particularly if you are in the midst of some kind of a really challenging project or a long drive. So certainly if you're feeling tired while you're driving, pulling over and and actually taking that kind of a, a short break. But also shorter mindfulness, meditation, deep breathing moments can help sort of pick up some energy. So if you know that you have a a busy afternoon full of meetings ahead, taking a five minute relaxation activity or deep breathing to kind of decenter and and focus your attention and let your heart rate slow down. So that can pick up some energy. I think going outdoors for a few minutes. So if you feel like you're starting to get tired and you have a lot still ahead, going outside and taking a 10 minute walk around the park or around the block, get some energy and oxygen into your brain and into your muscles. And that's probably one of the better pick me up in the middle of the day. I would say as well, because as we have been discussing before, our agendas tend to be overbooked. I assume that most of you, if you look at the listeners, if you are looking at your agendas right now, you will see that you have all those colors, all those slots booked Mm. all over. Another advice, could it be as well to make sure that if they feel that they are getting low in the level of energy in the morning, they notice that they had a bad night, that they go right away into their agendas and they block those times to make sure that every 
90 minutes every two hours, every three hours at least, they would have those 10, 15 minutes you have been saying, for example, to run a 10 minutes breathing mindfulness exercise. But do the booking, you know, make sure that the, yeah. that the time gets locked so you don't yeah. use that time for another meeting and just yeah. <laughs> make it even worse. Exactly. I mean, it seems silly, but un until it becomes a habit, many, many people and many clients that I've discussed with, uh, we, we discuss exactly that, that I put, put it in your calendar, put it in your Outlook calendar, that time for a break or time to take a little walk. Because of course, then when it becomes a habit, you probably don't have to do it after a while. But in the beginning, a very good idea to make sure that you actually schedule it. Creating habits, creating new habits in your lifestyle. Yeah. I think that's one of the main points that yeah. you could take away with yeah. us. I've also seen that in your conferences, you talk about super compensation. Uh, could you explain us a bit more about what that concept is? Yes. Yeah, so super compensation, uh, it's a traditional term used in sports, means that an athlete to improve performance, they have to offset the body's homeostasis, the basic balance in order to improve performance. So that means that you have to train harder than before and sort of at an increasingly more intensive tempo and intensity if you want to get performance increments. That's the only way to improve is to really push your body to the limit. But then the actual performance improvement happens during recovery. So if we just train, train, train and push our body, but we don't have enough time to recover and particularly enough sleep, we don't see that improvement in performance. And this is a really fine balance that as any athlete or coach knows that you have to find exactly the right amount of intensity and volume of training that you can handle and then enough recovery in between to see that improvement. And that's what all the athletes and coaches are constantly working with to see how far can they push and, and still get the recovery. So from that, what I often talk about is this called supercompensation of life, which is we've sort of taken that principle from sports and we apply it with regular people. And that it is very similar, but it basically means all the factors in your life that cause you stress. So your training, your job, your commute, your health, your family, your kids, everything that takes something from you that constitutes your load of life. And in order to make it sustainable, we have to make sure that there is enough recovery. And in, in our lifestyle assessment, we have this so-called body resources graph that illustrates that well. It's a line that goes up and down. When there is stress, it comes down. And when there is recovery, it comes up. And if the balance is good, we should be able to charge our battery even with a heavy load during the daytime. But then it also helps us understand that as that overall load increases, the requirement for recovery also increases. And this is particularly what those corporate athletes and marathon trainers have to understand that as their training load gets heavier, their demand for sleep and recovery is also bigger at that time. Improvements take place during recovery. That is a very deep insight for our listeners. Can you elaborate more on that one? I think it's extremely interesting. When you do a really hard training session, you put your body kind of in a hole in a while. Your performance actually decreases as a result of the training because you're working your muscles hard and there is fatigue and there is lactic acid. And so if you try to do a race right after a hard training session, you're not going to do very well because temporarily you, you have worsened your performance because you've pushed so hard. But then when you have enough recovery before the next session, so me, whether it means massage and stretching and resting and sleeping, it's during that time that those muscles sort of rebuild themselves and the body gets the energy back and remove all the toxic substances and gets the, the systems built for better delivery of oxygen. So it, the improvement actually happens when the body resting and it definitely takes a long enough rest period often enough 
to see those kind of improvements. And if the next training stimulus comes too quickly after the previous one, then the recovery process is still on the way and, and you're not able to bounce back to as high of a level as if you had recovered enough. As you are talking about it, it comes to my mind the metaphor or parallelism of meetings, right? You know, what would happen when we jump at work from meeting to meeting without any time in between? Even especially when those meetings are totally different from one topic mm. to the other, and they go extremely deep on different topics. Would you say that those same rules would apply at work? So let's assume that we have a day with six, seven, eight different meetings of different topics with absolutely no recovery time between session and session. How could that potentially impact our other muscle that we could call the brain, right? That <laughs> yeah, we could yeah. see the brain as another muscle. Yeah, I mean, I absolutely think the same principle applies to life in general, but also like if you're looking at an entity of a work day like that. Many companies where I've spoken, they are desperately trying to get away from this one hour meeting, meeting culture to like a 45 minute meeting culture or 50 minutes. Because if you have one hour meetings, that means that when the first one ends at 10 o'clock, the next one is beginning. So you're, you're sort of running slightly behind all day because you have to switch right from one meeting to the next. Whereas if it was 45 minutes, then you would have 15 minutes to regroup, whether it means going and getting a cup of tea or stretching a little bit or talking with colleagues, sometimes just sitting and relaxing, sometimes simply switching gears to the next topic. It would allow our brain and our mind a lot better potential than if we have to just constantly go from one thing to the next. <laughs> But easier said than done, for sure. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Especially when we don't understand, as I said before, which are our true priorities, which are the things that we should really accomplish. And how are those having an impact into our vision and the goals that we really want to achieve, not just on our personal level, but as well on the company level. So having those priorities clear, I think it could help creating those first decisions of what mm. do I want to focus on? And at the same time, where do I have the opportunities to recover? Where do I have the opportunities to create new habits as you were as you were mentioning yeah. before. Definitely a personal and a company culture decision. So because individual can't make those choices unless the company culture accepts that, let's all decide that we're gonna have those kind of breaks. So it definitely takes more than just personal effort to get there. I totally agree. I believe that the company culture is the one that also creates the peer pressure. Hmm. If it doesn't look cool anymore to be the guy that sleeps five hours per day, or it doesn't right. become cool anymore to be the woman that spends every day two hours in the gym uh, with high intensity training with no recovery mm. time and a lot of pressure that's also uh, allows to create a healthier culture around and uh, more pressure to bring new habits into your lifestyle you have been talking about your personal book and you know that secret page that you have there that i know that you have <laughs> the best tips and the best things you know the best habits to incorporate to our lifestyle to close the the interview today could you share with our audience that uh, secret page how can they improve <laughs> their well-being and performance well i mean the basic principle are so simple that it's almost ridiculous sleep enough ensure that you get good quality sleep most of the time learn to manage your own personal stress load with enough recovery and exercise regularly or do physical activity as often as possible and at, at the level that's appropriate for you so sleep 
stress management and exercise, I think are crucial components. And then learning what works for you. So making good choices most of the time. It doesn't have to be a perfect recipe every day, but learning our own, for example, stress hold very different between different people. Some people thrive on really being busy and having a lot going on all the time, as long as they can get their eight hours of sleep, whereas others absolutely need those downtime period. So we need to learn what works for us and then make time for that. Learn what works for us. I think it's uh, an extremely important point because uh, especially if you try to find inspiration, some other people that have had success in this in these areas mm. it could look great for them. But then when you go and try it, it could even be not just a fit for our body or yeah. our physiology or not a fit in our lifestyle. So understanding yeah. which are those things that, that match in those dimensions, it's key. And that's where I would bring the topic of the data that you were saying before. We're going to put down in the comments uh, a link where you can find more information if some of you wants to order the first bit lifestyle assessment. So it's kindly delivered to your home or you can also find a coach nearby your location. And you can just bring that data, bring those facts and then see. If you want to incorporate new habits, I think it's also a good test I've been doing with some of my clients, like, you know, put the device and then incorporate one new habit and then see which are the results before and after and then get yeah. get hard data to see is that actually having an impact in my life? Like some simple things that, like you have been saying, what is the difference between drinking that one glass of wine in a company dinner or not drinking it? What happens to my sleep? What about even the desserts? What about if I eat this type of food or another type of food? So there's a lot of interesting experiments that we can run in our daily life when we get the data behind to double check then the impact of that change. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the data, it can help us make those better decisions and more informed choices because we can see, learn concrete things from our lives. And I, I would say that the really typical insight pe that people get sometimes they're very small things like a person might realize that watching an hour of mindless TV in the evening it actually really helps them recover from the busyness of the day and helps them get ready for bed, where TV sometimes we think that it's maybe negative, but if that allows you to forget all the other to-dos and just relax on the couch and watch something enjoyable, that can be a good way to get that recovery. Or a person might discover that they feel like they don't have time to exercise enough, but when they see their data, they, they see that taking 15 to 20 minutes to walk to work or bike to work hmm. in the morning and bike back home in the afternoon, that's actually enough to provide very good health benefits for them. It's not going to help them run a marathon in a fast time. So if they really want to improve their performance, they have to sometime train more. But for basic health benefits, that kind of a simple commute to work by foot or by bike can actually be enough. And then I think I would say alcohol insights is one of the most powerful insights that people have got from our data because they can really realize that the idea of relaxing over some glasses of wine helps them relax but when they see the data it's most often not the case that usually the body keeps busy and the sympathetic nervous system keeps active if we have several units of alcohol and it's good to be aware of that that it, as a recovery strategy it's not good but it still doesn't mean you can't ever do that but when you need your top performance, then that's not, not the best way to do that. For our listeners that are not familiar with the topic of sympathetic nervous system, that's the one that arouses our fight or flight response, right? Yeah, that's the system that helps us perform, but if it's on all the time, then it starts to cause problems. Okay, and we don't want that to be awakened during the nighttime. I think that's right. a great point. I think yeah. that here it's 
very relevant to what you were indicating on how do we build rituals. So a ritual could be anything that you notice that it helps you recover during the, your sleep. You know, for some people, as you were mentioning, could be the watching TV programs or whatever they, they, they notice that works for them. For some other, in my case, it helps a lot to have this 45 minutes, one hour ritual before going to bed of shutting down social media, Facebook, emails, and totally getting my mind ready. So my yeah. body knows that, okay, now it's time to get to bed soon. So uh, let's start to switch off little by little all those buttons. Yeah. And at the same time, when I wake up, I notice a huge benefit of not looking into my emails or sh social media during the first 30 minutes after I wake up. I notice yeah. that the rest of my day seems to be more positive. Yeah, I think that one hour before bedtime is probably the key time that most people can make some powerful decisions if they choose to do that, whether it's switching off their body, so learning to slow down and forgetting, not doing busy things, but also, like you said, switch off from the electronics and switch off the bright lights and, and more dim, dim lights into the house which is easy to do here in Finland at this time of year because it's pitch dark already. But uh, yeah, that those kind of <laughs> evening rituals in the hour before bedtime, no matter how busy your day was, there are still some things you can do in that period before bed. Tina, thanks a lot for your time today. It was great to have you with us. To have you here, we know how busy you are and all your traveling schedules. So thanks again for taking the time. And we are looking forward to hear more of your speeches, conferences, and we'll be following you as well to see. We'll be putting those links to your articles and conferences as well down in the comments if some of you are interested to hear more about Tina and Firstbit. Yes, thank you, Mark. Great to be here and very good, valuable topics to discuss. So it was fun. Talk to you again soon and have a great rest of the week. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that was all for today and thank you very much for being a loyal listener. Let us know if there is any topic you would like us to cover down in the space for comments. Have a great rest of the week. Goodbye. Thank you for listening our bi-weekly podcast. And remember, this is about spreading and sharing the knowledge. So feel free to forward this audio to anybody you believe could get any benefit out of it. Coaching Talks Podcast, your inspirational moment to continue your growth journey.